This is E-Retailer Conversations on PBN, the Profitable Business Network. Now the host of E-Retailer Conversations with Principal of Profits Plus Solutions, here's your host, Tom Shea, and co-host, Bill Kendi. Okay, so welcome everybody. Glad you could join us tonight. Uh, great program lineup for tonight. We... Um, we know this one's guaranteed to be a winner for us just because of our previous experience. So welcome. This is, um, let's see, Thursday night, March 12, 2015. You're listening to the E-Retailer Conversation, brought to you every month by Profits Plus. It's a uh, free service. Obviously, you paid for the uh, 800, uh, we paid for the 800 phone call. There's no charge for being a part of the program, and we do this just because we enjoy finding some people who are really smart about aspects of business and letting them uh, share information with you. Let me take care of a couple of uh, quick details, letting you know that tonight's program is uh, being recorded and assuming everything works right, we will have uh, have this available on the Profits Plus website later tonight as soon as Bruce Giroux, the information stud on our staff, gets to massage it. Uh, You'll be able to download it as an MP3 file, or you can take and um, listen to it. Just click and listen on the Profits Plus website. And uh, during the night, as quick as little fingers can move, we are going to monitor Facebook for anyone who wants to uh, send in a question. I'll also be watching the um, uh, Tom Shea uh, at ProfitsPlus.org email, and I'll be watching the editor at uh, ProfitsPlus.org email so that you can take and uh, get to uh, ask us any of the questions you want. All right, so that being said, um, invite my co-host in, someone who's up in the uh, in the northern part, has been with us for a number of years, and to which we always give credit to Bill, because he's the one who came up with the idea of, here's how we all have this really neat little program. Bill Kendi, you out there, my friend? I am here, Mr. Tom, and thanks for having me on again. Yeah, you know, right. it's only been, what, almost two years now since we've done this together? Has it really been? Um, it's been almost two Next years, year starts seven years of the program, and I, I flew solo for a while. But, yeah, next month starts the uh, seventh year of this thing. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty neat. Good job. So who do we got talking tonight for us, sir? Hey, we got a neat program. So this was a previous guest. Um and has been experienced before. He gets more questions than anybody else gets. I, I, I wish I'm, I'm. I understand it. I understand, understand exactly why. Um, because as I go to trade shows and events, what I am finding a lot of, I, I see companies out there who do one of two things. Um, one of them is they call us, and if you are a business that has um, inventory, we're going to show you how to sell it off. Basically, here's how to do a closeout sale. And um, the second thing I see are these companies that come in with uh, a different variation of liquidation or here's how to get rid of your inventory, and, and it's a here's how to get rid of it. But our guest tonight, we're going to talk about it from a, a, a different perspective. How do you do something else with it, with your business to take, and um, you know, where, where, where are the door? How's it, uh, how do we come to the, to the door to get out? So um, let's see. Let me, I, you know, we always have a piece of music for somebody. Um, let me throw a quick piece of music in here, and then I'll tell you who the guest is. Well, 
So how's that? Is that cute? All right. I just thought the words were appropriate for our topic. Our topic tonight is saying I'm at the point in time where I, I want to sell the business, and how do I value the business, and uh, how how do I put this whole thing together? How do I time it? And with that being said, our um, our resident expert that we're bringing in tonight, coming to us from Indianapolis, home of the March Madness, the Final Four of basketball this year, if ever there's a place it should be held. Of course, it's in Indianapolis, those people who so much love their sport. But our guest tonight comes to us from Castle Wealth Advisors in downtown Indianapolis, and his name is Michael Kasher. Michael, are you there? I am. I am. Thanks, Tom. Hey, thanks for coming tonight. I know you've had a busy day already doing all kinds of things, and then you've got to sit around and turn around and do this with us. But oh, you, you have a lot of information that people want to know about. Yeah, we've uh looking forward to uh taking some questions and uh we'll kind of see what we've uh what we can cover tonight. Well, that's it. So, let's do the first part. Um tell them who you are, tell them a little bit about uh Castle and uh tell them just uh, so what does Michael do all day? <laughs> well, uh again, Michael Kelsher, I'm a, a senior consultant over here at Castle Wealth Advisors. We are uh, a wealth management and business succession planning firm. That's what we specialize in. Uh, we, we have certain uh, markets that we, uh, that we work with, uh, not exclusively, but predominantly. And uh, you, you, know, you find your niche that you can really work with business owners and add some value and help them uh, transition this uh, this wonderful asset, this this business that they've spent, you know, years, probably decades, uh, building up, and now we help uh, them transition that business to a son or daughter, uh, a key manager, a third party, uh, somebody, and try and get the maximum value out of that business and into the owner's pocket. At the end of the day, that's really what we're shooting for. Well, so, kind of like according to the song Steam, it's na 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 na, hey hey, it's time to say goodbye and so on. <laughs> appropriate, appropriate. So yeah, uh, we just want you to say goodbye to the business with the most money possible in your pocket. Exactly, and so that entails a little bit of. Uh, pre-planning, you know, so we walk some of our clients through uh, a very deliberate process to think about that, to plan for that. Uh, it, it takes some time to do that. You, you can't do this in uh, a weekend or an evening type of thing, uh, but we walk them through that process, and at the end of the day, um, we even help some of our clients uh, negotiate the sale so that uh, it's a win for the buyer, it's a win for the seller, and uh, at the end of the day, if the only loser is Uncle Sam, then we've done our job. Okay. Now, traditionally, is your company sitting on one side of the table or the other, or are you sitting in the middle with two parties? Actually, that we are very unique in that perspective that we actually sit on the side of the seller. Uh, now, when you're selling within the family, and I would say probably about a third of our clients end up selling the business to uh, a son, a daughter, niece, nephew, somebody in the family, uh, that's very beneficial because you can actually maximize the value for both sides of the table so we can help with that. Um, but I think a lot of our clients 
they've never sold their business before. Okay, this is this is usually a one once in a lifetime event, and they are always very concerned about somebody coming in and you know selling them a bill of goods, or uh, you know they have a a business broker who's just trying to close the deal so that they get their big fat commission check. And, uh, and and I think they appreciate the fact that we not only walk them through the preparation process, but actually into the negotiations and all the way to see it through. Um, and even beyond the sale, uh, we can be involved as much or as little as the uh, as the the seller wants us to be. So very a la carte. You know, we only we only help people as much as they need it. And uh, and when we uh, when we have a, a great relationship, sometimes that lasts uh, six or twelve months until the deal is done and uh, things are are in good shape. Or it might last you know ten or twenty years. It just kind of depends on what the client's looking for. So let, let me ask this this question. Uh, my thought is, uh, you own a small business. And you want to take advantage of what the tax laws allow you as much as possible. Uh, you set up the right corporation. That's where we will have our guest for May, which is our favorite CPA, Mike McCormick. And as you have your, your family-owned business, then through the years as you are running it, there are a lot of items that you can take tax-wise, uh, take advantage of, uh, such as, if appropriate, you can put your uh, your car into the business. You can also take and hire your children to work in the business. Um, there's just a whole lot of stuff that you can put into expenses legitimately. Uh, you can say, hey, I have a cell phone and uh, the business needs to get a hold of me. So you can kind of claim your cell phone as an expense. I mean, there's a lot of things that you can do uh, to put expenses in to minimize your taxes. But my, my belief is that there comes a point in time that as you're trying to determine this, the selling price for the business, and let's say we're going to outside parties here, um, you, you want to get rid of those expenses. Is that correct? Well, that's a great question because that's uh, one of the things that we talk to people about when they're they're thinking about, hey, how do I put my 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 get my maximum value from this business? And my CPA has been telling me for 20 years, hey, you need to show as little profit as little taxable income as possible. Uh, so you might have you know, revenues of, uh, you know, let's just say a million dollars of revenue, okay, just for example, um, and you might show $50,000 of, of profit at the end of the year. But as you say, a lot of that is because we are running through uh, the business personal expenses, uh, maybe a car, maybe a country club membership, maybe uh, we own the building and we're paying ourselves a little bit more uh, rent than than we would uh, if we were just in a standalone place. Maybe our salary includes a little uh, kick or bonus. You know, there's lots of little things that that add in there. From a tax standpoint, that's exactly how you want to do it. However, what we do when we talk to people, we say, hey, you have to document those items. 
um, and what we, we call them ad backs. That that I don't know if that's an industry term per se, but uh, but we refer to them as ad backs. You you take your profit and then you add back you know excess rent. You add back that that uh, health insurance that you have that uh, just on the owners. You add back all of these itemized expenses that you're taking out your cell phone, you know, your home office, things like that. And you show that from a valuation standpoint, hey, yes, if you look at my tax return, I'm only showing a profit of $50,000. But if you look at my ad backs, you know, if, if you, the third party buying my corporation, uh, look at how much cash flow it's actually generating. So you might have $50,000 of profit, but you might have $200,000 of usable cash flow. And that usable cash flow, call it adjusted EBITDA, call it whatever you will, but that's the dollar that is going to be available for the new owner to buy your business. It it all comes down to adjusted EBITDA, or that usable cash flow. doesn't mean you need to t- change your tax return, okay, because Uncle Sam still, you know, you'd still want to minimize that, but to show a prospective buyer, you have to show them that adjusted EBITDA or the usable cash flow. Well, you, you, want, to, you want to explain what EBITDA is? Right, right. So EBITDA is, and I always forget, you know, this is probably a... <laughs> A question, uh, the exact terminology for Mike coming up in May. So earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation. Those are the big things. Okay. Um, So you know if you're if you're spending if you bought uh, a new forklift, a new truck, you know whatever you have some depreciation on those assets. Uh, If you have a loan outstanding, that's interest expense. Those are all taken off of. Um, off of your taxes, but for a new owner, assuming they're going to come in and pay cash for your business or borrow money and, and pay it directly to you, um, they may or may not have those expenses per se. That's not a cash flow thing. So, um, so that that's why we say, hey, it's it's important to know your profits, but it's also extremely important to know what your your EBITDA is or your adjusted EBITDA. You know what the new owner is going to have in their pocket to to spend, to pay you back, to pay the bank back for a loan, to put in their own pocket, et cetera. Uh, How far in advance like, should somebody start doing that, making sure that they're not, um, uh, you know, they're, they're, even though they want to show that the least total gross income for the IRS, you know, mm-hmm. th- was it two or three or five years in advance? How far should they be thinking about out on that? Yeah, that's a great question, Bill. So I, I usually tell people the uh, the sooner the better, uh, but three years, in my experience, has been the kind of the sweet spot because you are close enough to, hey, I'm going to sell my business. Because if you say, hey, I'm going to sell my business in 15 years, I have no idea what your business is actually going to look like in 15 mm-hmm. years. It could be... 10 times the size of it is today, it could be the exact same size. I I don't know. But three years out, you have a pretty good feel. Hey, we know where the business is. We know where it's going. I can get some fairly decent projections out that far. And, uh, And this is something that 
when you own a business and you want to sell it to a third party, you have to be aware the very first thing an educated buyer is going to ask for is last year's tax returns, last year's uh, financial statements, so balance sheet and income statement. Okay, They may even ask for two years' worth of those things. And so that's why I say if you start on this process three years out, you've got a whole year to uh, gussy it up to, you know, I'm not talking about putting pig, on, you know, lipstick on a pig, but um, there, I, I have seen some rather ugly financial statements, okay? Uh, some things that if I was trying to put the best foot forward for my business, um, I would not want to show things that might be showing up on a financial statement. You know, loans okay. to children, uh, ownership of, I've seen uh, ownership of, uh, timeshares in in the business, you know, just stuff that's completely unrelated to the business. If you start three years out, you've got plenty of time to clean that kind of stuff up. Okay. So what you're saying, Michael, is you're asking the person who wants to sell the business to make up their mind, they want to sell it, and three years before it's for sale, you want clean financial statements. You want them to right. look like a nicely. All right. Now, w would you accept the possibility that what they would do is instead saying, hey, I got a, I got notes here to explain these ad backs, or is that, is that a problem? If I can just say I can explain the ad backs. Oh, oh no, no. I think that's perfectly appropriate because there's no real form to show ad backs. You know, there's, it's not a tax form or something like that. So you basically get your financial statements squared away in good shape. You know, they look nice and straightforward uh, and then you say and here's an addendum so here's my tax return here's my financial statement and no oh, by the way here's my adjusted EBITDA or my adjusted cash flow uh, and so you show the prospective buyer that you're already well ahead of the curve and you've already done your homework uh, and you you're thinking about actually what that business is really worth okay well so I've heard a I was going to say, Tom, I think that segues after break into a little conversation about valuation, don't you guys? Yeah, um, it, it does. I learned, so at this point, Michael, I've heard a comment that said it's a problem if a person in selling the business runs it with all the personal expenses hidden, or not hidden, but into it, and then handing a piece of paper. I've heard an old, for lack of a better term, old retailer's term, that when you do that, the prospective buyer has a, a strong tendency to discount the real value. I mean, in their mind, begin to discount the real value of the business, thinking this is not real sheets and they're just they're making stuff up on me. Mm -hmm. Is that is that so, or is that just an old story that needs to die? Well, there is some uh, some hesitation on on buyers uh, because. Hey, you know, the, a tax return is a is a powerful document. It's a you know that that's a under penalty of perjury. This is supposed to be the absolute truth, and now you're saying this isn't the truth. Well, there it, it's not a matter of one is right and one is wrong, uh, and it's not a matter of hey we're keeping 
books off to the side. No, 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 no. That, that's not what it is at all. All you're doing is saying, hey, look at what a good job I am doing with my business that I am running it on a very tax-efficient standpoint. And okay. Mr. Prospective Owner, if you would then take over the business, you, don't have, you can run it any way you want, but you're going to have all of these additional uh, things at your fingertips. Don't let the tax return fool you. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Okay. Okay. All right, so let's take a, uh, a quick station break here. Let me tell you one our guest tonight is Michael Kalsher, who comes to us from Castle Wealth Advisors in Indianapolis. Uh, their phone number is 888-849-9559. Again, 888-849-9559. Their website is Castle, the number three, castle3.com. And if you want to write to Michael, uh, you can do so. And it's simply Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at Castle number three.com. With that, let's take a quick station break. This is E Retailer Conversations on PBN, the Profitable Business Network. So, Michael, let's get into a couple of questions that I've, uh, I've got here. A um, person says, um, I'm, I ha- I'm making my list. I make my list of things that uh, I'm, I'm selling to somebody. And we are looking at past, uh, this is going to be a business that has a product to sell, so they've got inventory. Okay. Um, we're going to look at inventory at cost, and I, as soon as I, let me go through the list, because what I want to talk to you about is the difference in defining cost and landed cost. Uh, leasehold improvements, which will be, here's the building I'm in, and I've done things to make the thing look nice, whether I put in my own ceilings, light fixtures, floor covering, uh, furniture, fixtures, signage, my computer system, my point of sale, um, value to the, to the business name, uh, value to the customer database that they will have, uh, a tradition, kind of like what we've got here. We're getting ready to start seven years of this. They've got a tradition with a, uh, a newsletter that they send to the customers. They've got a website. Um, the other things that this person says I'm looking to put into is um, how long do I, as the seller of the business, need to stay in to assist them with regard to uh, transitioning, uh, non-compete, how yep. long do I need to make the non-compete for, uh, put that together and then say, now we're, we're down to what we want to call goodwill or blue sky. And um, so what do we have there for um, other intangibles? And the one that sticks up to me uh, past looking at business uh, reputation is lease. Uh, personal experience, we, years ago, 1982, we bought a business and we had a 30-year lease at $1.82 a square foot. You know, wow. Could I get a lease like that in downtown Indianapolis today? Not, uh, it's a little higher than that. So, <laughs> no. so you understand when we bought the business, we paid. So let's, let's go through um, this list from this person right here. Uh, inventory at cost. Uh, I see a difference in inventory at cost, which is what it's on the books for, and landed cost because you have to consider the freight to get it into our business, and someone's got to unbox it. Someone's got to put a price sticker on it, perhaps package it properly and put it on a shelf. Uh, I see that as landed costs. 
Can we go with that? You know, I'll I'll be honest. The 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 types of valuations that we get into uh, at the uh, when, when you're at the negotiating level, um, it's not as important to go. Do we do inventory of cost or if we do landed cost? Um, and and here's why. Okay, most times when you're into a negotiation with a prospective buyer. Um, You've got so many things that you're talking about. You're talking about the the business, the the employees. You're talking about um, benefits, the POS system, the point of sale system. Sorry, uh, the you know there, there's all these things, and what happens is you get bogged down uh, in in minutia, in detail type of type of stuff. And and if you start you know if you start going into well hey I've I, I've taken a physical inventory and I've got you know seven thousand SKUs you know or you know we we have some hardware clients that have fifty thousand SKUs uh, so it, it's uh, you time kills all deals okay if you want to sell your business you have to start the negotiating pro- process at a 30,000 foot level this is what my business is worth are you even remotely in the ballpark of that okay uh, if yes then you can get into uh, a negotiation and, and when they actually purchase your company if they purchase the stock say you're an S Corp uh, and they purchase the stock. Doesn't happen very often, but it, you know, outside the family, but it can. Um, then the difference between inventory cost or landing cost is almost irrelevant because you're just paying for the stock. Okay. If you if right. you have a C corp, that's a whole different story. And then after the the op, uh, the top line document, the top line number is agreed upon, then you can get into nuance because they'll want to know those numbers for tax purposes. Okay. So let's look at this, this list that this person has sent to us. Are, are you good with all of what's on this list? The, yeah. The, the inventory, obviously, that's usually, especially for uh, certain industries, inventory is uh, the, the bulk of the value of the business. Again, we do a lot of work in the hardware industry, and, uh, you know, you've got, you know, $600,000 of nuts and bolts and lumber and, and uh, asphalt and, and everything else under the sun back there, uh, that's got some value. And, and so you have X items that will reduce that a little bit, but you have that. You have the shelving. You know, they talked about furniture, okay. fixtures. Leasehold, yeah. Like that. Furniture, fixtures, equipment, leasehold improvements. Yep. I, I dropped a ceiling in. I put in lights. I put floor covering down. Well, now, I, and, and one thing that I would warn uh, this particular individual, uh, keep the real estate, any fixtures that are attached to the real estate, that's a separate animal. Remember that this is your business. You should be valuing your business as a standalone entity. Real estate is a whole separate negotiation. Now, if you own the real estate, uh, they, they, that's all part of the same negotiations. But I warn people, never confuse selling your business with selling your real estate. Those are actually technically two separate negotiations, two separate deals. Um, some people want to sell the real estate with the business. Uh, some don't. Some want to rent and, and have that rental income. So, um, so be very careful about, um, about that. The one thing you want to 
bear in mind with real estate is, hey, I spent $20,000 last year on new lighting fixtures. We went all LED or something like that. That should be an add back for your cash flow purposes, but it should not show up in the actual value of the, the business itself. Does that make sense? Well, see, I would ask, well, why not? If I've taken the light, if I have a retail place and I've added lights and the lights at this point, I'm leasing the building, the lights are mine. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. if you're leasing the building and the lights are yours, okay, then, then I mean, yes, that's, that's I'm selling you lights. you have I, with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, as, I'm, and as I'm reading this, it's saying I've, I've got a business here and I'm taking in sales. If I've got leasehold improvements, uh, I could say, yeah, I own the building. That's one thing, and I hear your comments there. But if I'm leasing the building and I've gone through and said, look, I just put carpet in the place a year ago because it looked crappy and I want to make it look pretty when I sold the place. So this is new carpet. This is new lights. I just painted the interior of the place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, that, to me, that would be leasehold improvements. But now let's let's go down the line because we we've got bunches of questions we got to get through tonight for people who are okay. stacking up here. Um, seller time and assistance. I sell you the business. How long do I have to hang with you to help you? And you know, is there a value to that? Do I put a number value to that? Well, let's answer the first or the second part of that first. Is there value to it? Absolutely. Nobody knows your business better than you do. And if somebody, the new owner, is expecting you to stick around, uh, they should be. You should be compensated for that. Absolutely, no question about that. Uh, now, how long that's going to entail is completely up to who your new buyer is, okay? So uh, let's say you have uh, a carpet store, okay, and, uh, and you sell carpet, and your prospective buyer um, is a chain that owns 12 carpet stores. Guess how long you're going to stick around after you sell your business? Zero. Right. Zero days. They, buy, they hand you a check, you're out the door, you're in Aruba the next weekend, okay? That, that, you're done. Um, if it's Are they somebody, taking you to Aruba with them? Well, it, hey, hey I'm the partial to Tahiti, but that's, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, game. Okay. I'm game. Uh, if it's somebody, say, uh, say you had a retired executive from a Fortune 500 company, he got downsized, he's 51 years old, and he's got uh, a severance package with a half a million dollars burning a hole in his pocket, um, He's going to want you to stick around quite some time, you know, six months, 12 months, 18 months, completely uh, within the realm of, of feasibility uh, until you can get him ingratiated to your best customers, your best suppliers, your employees, things like that. And you should be compensated um, as, as part of that. That's, that should be part of the negotiation price, uh, the negotiated price. Say that again, Bill, I'm sorry. That should be, that should be bundled in there. That's that, that not looked at as a separate transaction. No, 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 absolutely not. And, and, and that's the key thing, and I'm glad you said that, Bill, because think about this. Let's say I own uh, a C corporation that was started 30 years ago, okay, right. and my business is worth a million dollars. Well, um, and, and I don't know. I don't, I don't want to steal Mike's, uh, you know, tax thunder next, you know, back in in May. But C corporations, if you have an old one, your basis is probably very, very low. You know, my, I've seen basis of five thousand um, dollars. 
uh, and a million-dollar company. Well, that's all capital gain. Uh, okay. So let's take the capital level. gain uh, in, in a second. Hold on. Let, we need to stop okay. at the bottom of the hour and do uh, station ID and this one. And then let's, okay. let's talk about what's going to happen to you on capital gain. Uh, okay. Reminder again, our guest for tonight is Michael Kalsher, who comes to us from Castle Wealth Advisors. Obviously, we have got bunches and bunches of questions, and if we could make this a four-hour program, we could go till midnight easily with this, but I think, well, we can't, we can't do that. Uh, let me tell you how to find Michael. You want to talk to him, uh, particularly for those who uh, did not get their questions in. Um, email is michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at castle3, that's C-A-S-T-L-E, the number 3.com, michael at castle3.com. Phone number is 888-849-9559. And as you can tell from his email, you can go look at their website, which is castle3.com. Okay, quick station break. Uh, found another song. I thought uh, I couldn't find my favorite singer for it, the guy who I thought deserved credit. But uh, I, I think at least the first couple lines of lyrics here, pretty dead gum appropriate to tonight. Turn out the lights The party's over They say that all Good things must end Call it a night Oh, so I'd love to play the whole thing. It goes on and on. All right, so how's that one, Michael? Is that is that kind of like a good theme song for us for tonight? Oh, that that's better than the first one. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, I couldn't find. It was Willie Nelson who gets the credit for that one. I just I couldn't find the Willie Nelson version to it. Um, okay. So the point we're dealing with is and trying to answer this person's continued questions is that when you have a business and you have bought items. Could be the lights, could be uh, the point of sale system, furniture, fixtures, signage, all this stuff, and you paid ten thousand dollars for it, which you had, but you paid a whole lot more. But ten thousand make an easy number, and you've depreciated this down over several years, and you've got it down on the books to a thousand bucks. So if you turn around and sell this stuff for five thousand dollars, the IRS is looking for their piece of the four thousand. The one thousand it was on your books at, difference between that and the five thousand you sold it for, the IRS is standing in line and wants their piece of that four grand kind of pronto. Is that kind of the summary of it? Uh well yes and no. Yes and no. So the the, the IRS is very cognizant of hey, what is your basis and what did you sell the the entire uh you know the entire entity for um i i've been involved in in many many of these situations where you know the irs is kind of hey as long as you get the big picture right um they are not going to delve into you know did you did you sell this you know this uh uh, chair for five hundred dollars when it's really on your books for you know fifty dollars. Um, they're, they're not going to get caught up in that kind of minutia. So um, it, it, it's important to to have that documentation for the new buyer because guess what? They want 
a higher value. Um, you're not going to be able to price it at full, you know, say, say that chair costs $500 in the store and you're carrying it on the books depreciated to, you know, 50 uh, you're not going to be able to write it off at 500 all over again, but it's perfectly understandable to have it at 150 or 250 um, and And the IRS had said, hey, that is a, a used item. Um, if you talk to valuation experts, um, they, they will say that you, shouldn't, you, you really shouldn't take it at full depreciated value because it actually is worth more than that. Uh, if you just it's more than the, the – how, how so? The, the, the book value is, is just that. It's strictly from a tax standpoint, not a valuation standpoint. That's what a lot of people get confused about is they say, well, my, my forklift is, you know, is depreciated all the way down. You know, I'm only showing it on the books for 50 bucks. And I tell you, well, if you – if you went out and bought a used forklift, would it cost you $50? Well, absolutely not. It would cost a lot more than that. Well, yeah. then when you sell your business, it, it's only natural that you would write that particular you know, asset as not brand new price. If a brand new one's 5000 you can't do that, but you can write it up. And the IRS is completely um, – they completely accept that, that methodology. And then you just work in the gray area. Whether if yeah. it's, and again, I think I'm getting into more of a, uh, a tax detail issue, but yeah. there is some wiggle room on those things. But you have to yeah. be aware well, of it. When you go, in, when you go in and you, know, you can have an expert come in and evaluate the business, all the access, you know, the fixed assets, whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. How do you go about determining the value of a name or time? You know, you, your family was in business for forever. You know, how does one go in and say, this is worth that much. I mean, is it just willy-nilly? You know, just, I, I, we don't have much time, but you know, you shed a little light on that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And great question. And, and I do not want to sound coy or, uh, oh my gosh, you need to hire us to do evaluation to figure this out. That, that's not what I'm trying to say. But it is as much an, an art as, as, a, as a science. Um, you know, I cannot you know, go on this phone call in good conscience and tell people, well, here's the methodology that you should use to value your business. I mean, that, that, that's crazy. I need to know a lot more detail about your industry, uh, your, your longevity. I mean, I just ran into uh, a client out in Pennsylvania. Their, their store's been there since 1863. Okay, you want to talk about ingratiated into your community, you know, they've been there since the Civil War. So how do you value that good, that name recognition in that town? Uh, it, it's, it's very simple. We, we look at valuation as profitability. Okay, for, for lack of a better way to describe it, um, how much profit are you generating from this business. It's not just the assets. It's not just the inventory. It's, it's, it's the people and the customers and that relationship and everything that's around that and how well you run your business. And, if I, and, and we have yet to find a better way of defining goodwill than profitability. If you have a very profitable store, there's a very good likelihood that if the new owner does what you do, and, and will do, they will be successful. And 
And if they don't, maybe they'll be successful, but the, the profitability of your business is the best way to define uh, goodwill that I've ever seen. Okay. Can you use um, a multiple of that? Usually, usually it's it's a, a little bit more complicated than that, but it it basically breaks down to, you know, here's here's how much uh, revenue, gross margin, uh, you know, all of the different expenses, and there's ratios involved with that. Uh, but then, really, yeah, it comes down to some combination of here's what the assets are worth, here's what the profitability is worth, and based on a thousand other factors. Here's what the business is worth today. And, you know, just because something really worked back in 1863 does not necessarily mean that they've kept up with technology and different buying patterns and have Sabbaths. And, Tom, you know, speaking of technology, just out of curiosity, who, I, I, who are we going to have for next uh, month's uh, guest? Bill, our guest who is going to be joining us on Thursday uh, April 9th uh, is Ron Friedman, uh, except this time Ron Friedman is not coming to us as Ron Friedman, the owner of Demomics, the software provider for retailers. Ron is coming to us as Ron the author, because Ron's got an idea that of a book that uh, I definitely want to be one of the first to read. So let's check. Ron, are you out there? Yes. Okay, so tell, tell him real quick, tell him about the book. Tell him what you want to write about. I think it's fascinating. Well, uh, I believe that the all retailers, especially the small businesses, need to make the number one SKU, the gift card SKU, in all its iterations. And I've been working over the years, as you've illustrated or said, uh, with small retailers, and I've found that the key thing that every retailer wants is three things. They want more referrals. They want the customer to frequent them more often, and when they're there, they want them to spend more, raise the average ticket. And the only tool that they have that umbrellas those three traits is the gift card skew in all its iterations, not necessarily just selling it, but using it promotionally. And the more gift cards you get out there, the more you get those traits happening in your business. So you're going to uh, sit down and put pen to paper on all this and, and explain to people uh, from your experience, because you have quite a wealth of knowledge from the retailers that you've worked with over the years, as to how they can increase these, these aspects of their business. Exactly. And we've worked with them at all levels to get more gift cards in people's hands. You know, of course, selling them is one of the things, and a lot of people do it. But uh, even the ones that sell it, there's still a lot that use the paper gift certificate, which we've done some real stats with of my customer base. And we found that moving from paper to plastic yields an over 300% increase in purchasing and redemption of them. People like the plastic more than the paper. Uh, I know from my own experience, I had a paper gift certificate that was large, and I had to fold it in quarters to fit in my wallet. And it sat in my wallet for, I would say, over six months, 
And I finally was cleaning out my wallet and said, what is this piece of paper? I didn't know what it was. Open up. Oh, it's that gift certificate I put in my wallet months ago. And I said, I got to get to that business. And it turned out another month went by. I still forgot about it. I had to open this paper again to see where it was. And finally, after the second time, I wound up getting to that business. And I was more interested in getting it out of my wallet because I was so, so frustrated about having that thing. And the second thing wrong of the paper gift certificate is that most retailers immediately at the purchase time fill in the recipient's information. So that limits the ability of that paper gift certificate from being re-gifted. And really, as you start understanding the psychology of this, you want that gift certificate or better yet, gift card to come into your business and get redeemed. Because when someone gives a gift card or a gift card to someone, subliminally they're saying to the recipient, I shop there, I like shopping there, I think you should shop there, here's some money to shop there by, now go shop there, which is the ultimate referral. So the more you can you know, get these out there, the more that can be re-gifted, the more you got people giving referrals. See, and I never thought of it that way. Well said. So, Bill, these are just some of the points that Ron, with all this tremendous knowledge he's got from talking to all these people and being able to uh, put together their ideas and take from one and give to another, this is why Ron's going to be with us for Thursday, April 9th, to share these ideas. So, Ron, we thank you. We look forward to talking to you on April 9th, and definitely we want to read the book. Thanks for your time this morning. Excellent. Thank you. See you then. Can I ask a question, please? Sure. Uh, this is JW. I apologize for coming in late, but I had sent a question in by email earlier. Uh, about my particular business and uh, the situation with uh, uh, owner financing on the real estate where the real estate is like two times the value of the actual business. Did, have you already discussed that? No. Your question is the next one up on the list. Oh, okay. <laughs> I've got it in my left hand, J.W., <laughs> yeah, Michael, I, I sent you this one uh, earlier today. And actually, look, this is a gentleman who has a business. He wants wants to sell it. Uh, his, his challenge uh, is finding a buyer who can afford or is able to willing to bite off that much of a of a purchase price. And he says that the real estate is valued about two times the purchase price of the business. Okay, so this is a common scenario that happens with people in in which uh, I think about a friend of mine who's got a hamburger stand up the street from where I live. I think I'll get more from the land than I will from the business, and the business dates back to almost 90 years there. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so my first question to you, Michael, is like, you know, would this be a point in time where do you go for the one-time one deal and say sell them together, or do you say, who let's move the business someplace else, sell it off as a piece, and then sell the land by itself? 
Exactly. You're thinking exactly the right way about this. And that's why I stressed earlier on that you want to look at the real estate transaction as related, but not part of selling your business itself. And so, you know, in this, in this particular gentleman's office situation, JW here, you know, I, I, I would have to ask more questions about, you know, is that particular location the only place that is, would work for that particular business? Um, some have to be in high traffic, high foot areas. Most people like that, especially uh, the retailers that we work with. Um, they, they need to be up out front and and have a lot of people walking by or driving by. Uh, other ones uh, might be a block over, and and it wouldn't really necessarily mean the end of the business to be in a different location. So, um, so yeah, you you definitely have to look at it. Now, again, just because you're selling the building separately from the business doesn't mean you have to go through a liquidation. This, that's not what I'm saying at all. In fact, uh, that's all the more reason to have the business valued in and of itself, um, taking into consideration, hey, if you did move, would that impact your, your profitability at all? Um, but that's why to get the most money out of both sides of the equation, uh, you have to look at it from that, that perspective. Okay. That makes sense. All right, so let's ask a couple more questions on here, Michael. Uh, those relate to JW and also some of the other questions here. Uh, I, I'm seeing a, a theme for some of the questions that have been asked where people are calculating the goodwill, blue sky of the business, something to the effect of taking um, bottom line for three years, adding them together, getting an average number and multiplying the average by three and saying that's the goodwill or blue sky. Uh, do you have a formula that you, you frequently use? Oh, well, it, it, there, are, uh, there are some very good rules of thumb out there. There are some very good formulas. And, and I will tell you that every uh, formula that I use is industry-specific. And so that's why... You know, if I'm talking to uh, a software company or uh, a client that we have is uh, they do IT consulting, um, their multiple has nothing to do with uh, with uh, assets. They have none. You know, it's all it's a service industry. <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, and all of their contracts are three years or less. So it's, it's, uh, it's very short-term. They don't have a lot of patent-protected things. It's basically what you are buying is the current contracts and the people and their ability to continue those contracts or to continue to sell. And so that's a very different animal. You have to, you have to value that company on right. a percent, you know, multiple of revenue, multiple of, of, uh, of EBITDA. Uh, you... you, you don't have any assets, so you can't even take that in consideration. You know, com compare that to okay. a different industry of something that's very, um, you know, asset centric. Uh, that you know, your your maybe you only have uh, a million of sales, but you have five hundred thousand of inventory just to generate a million of sales. Okay, that that's that's a completely different rule of thumb to to go by that. So I don't mean to be coy. There are good rules of thumb. Mm -hmm but it depends on your industry. 
Can we give one that's somewhat to um, when, when we're saying industry? Can we get narrow it down a little bit to where, hey, this is retailing? I mean, are you are you saying your formula is like this is the rule for a gun store, this is the rule for a garden center, this is the rule for a hardware store, this is the rule for the corner pharmacy? Are you saying that what? industry? Or are you? you, you know, that's how do you basically. That's how we we break it down. So when when we look at valuing companies uh, and and using uh, you know two, three, four, five different uh, valuation metrics. Uh, and using some combination thereof to come up with a firm number for, for clients, um, we're, we're looking at kind of sick uh, codes. You know, you know how, how do you report your industry on your tax return? How, what, what industry are you in? Uh, a garden, uh, lawn and garden place is going to be very different uh, than uh, – they're a retailer, but they're going to be very different than a landscaper who technically is kind of in the same – industry no. but they do very different things within that industry so no, but we'll say let's take a garden center and a hardware store are we are they staying close i mean they're both it's both the product yeah they would be i mean i see where you're going with the landscaper but you're you're yeah. I, I see you going landscaper because they both deal with plants let's 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 come back to i have two people they have stores they're you know take a shopping center i got 10 stores it's in a strip shopping center every, every one of them is simply a product oriented store are they using the same formula? In that scenario, absolutely. I, I think you could definitely say that. And so we would say, okay, uh, based on uh, what, you, what product you're selling, you, you have inventory, you're selling that out the door, uh, and we'd take uh, a balance sheet valuation in that, connect, in that case. So what are, what are your uh, inventory and your fixtures and, and, okay. and everything. But, no, that pa- but past that one, For the Goodwill Blue Sky, this is a question I'm trying to get to because I've got that many people who have asked the question. When they're trying I, to dream I, up the Goodwill, the Black Sky number, the question I'm trying to ask there is, with Goodwill or, or Blue Sky, are we looking at an average of the net profit over three years and doing a multiplier of three on that? Or right, so I'm looking for some insight as to what's the formula for, for only for Goodwill or Blue Sky. Right, right. And, and I would say we tend to use uh, a weighted average last three years. Uh, and some do uh, one-third, one-third, one-third. I, I tend to prefer overweighting the most recent history. So, you know, uh, you take uh, – Last year times three, year before that times two, year before that times one, and then divide it by six because the mo- the most current year is the most relevant to the valuation. And again, depending if you had a really good l- year last year, you'll want to value it okay. that way. So, <laughs> if, so now, uh, all right. So now, where's the multiplier factor come in? Where and, it's, and the people who are sending me questions, three seems to be coming up the number. There, it's, it seems it's, I see a theme here. Taking the last three years, coming up with however you want to wait it to come up with it, multiply it times three. Is are they that, off that, base? That that's that's a, a a great starting point. You know, I uh, again, I'm I you're you're not going to catch me saying you know that's what the the number to use uh, because uh, yeah I I think my uh, my. Uh, Co-workers here would have something to say about that if I said okay. that on air, unrecorded. So but now here, that's a great way to start. 
right, so here's another one that I've got to give you. Right. Right. I'm only asking a question about Blue Sky, okay? Because I, when I was, we got five minutes, and I'm trying to summarize many people's questions here all together. Mm-hmm. All right, and I've still got one by itself. So the other one I'm trying to get into is that when I'm selling this, all right, I know that I'm painting a broad picture here, but I've got to give people in four minutes some, some sort of an idea here. I, I'm going to sell the bus, business. Give me the 30 seconds of do I want to finance this or am I expecting to walk out all cash, whether they get an SBA loan, whether they get a conventional bank loan, they borrow the money, whatever it is. Tell me a, a, a four-inch paintbrush wide, here's what you're expecting to get out of it. Am I going to come out with all the cash, or am I really expecting i got to finance something of this? Okay, okay. Great question. Comes up a lot. Rule of thumb, if you are selling to a chain, you will get one check, or if we negotiate it out, maybe a check over two tax years to to lessen the tax blow. But if you're selling to a chain, a multi-store owner, you will get a check and you will be, they will say thank you very much and change the sign on Monday morning. Okay. Okay. If now, you more, more often, we're looking at we're we're talking individual to individual. If you're selling to an individual that does not have other locations similar to yours or another business, chances are uh, you are going to have to do some kind of uh, financing, either continue to rent the building to them if you own the building because they're not going to be able to afford to buy the business and the building at the same time, um, or uh, some kind of uh, seller-financed process that you stay involved. Um, But at that point, the other question is, past that, I do not want to take my business as collateral for the loan. Yes? Mm. Mo- most people would say yes, uh, and, I don't and here's want it. why. You, you, well, that's uh, because you're trying to sell the business. The last thing you want to do is have somebody come in, mess the business up, and then hand it back to you. Right. <laughs> I want an outside. Fiz- I want an outside something to to guarantee the loan. Right, right. Now, just be advised. That's very. That's very difficult to come by because most buyers, uh, the the asset that their biggest asset is the money they're giving you and the business. So right. uh, you're not going to have them put their house up for as collateral to you. Uh, but the issue is you may be money. dealing with someone who's simply undercapitalized. Uh, you, you are taking a risk if you take the, your own business back as collateral. Depend upon you ask, uh, ask an attorney in your state, how long would it take you to grab the business back if someone started running into the ground? Basically, how fast could they run a liquidation sale on your inventory and beat out, beat out of town with your cash? Uh, you, you, well, I, but that's kind of cynical, but uh, <laughs> yeah. But it's yeah, easily done. But, but it's, it is easily, easily done. And so what you know, I always tell people, if you are holding the paper, you should have covenants. Uh, I see all the financials on a quarterly basis. You can't spend more than X dollars. You can't go into debt more than X percentage points. Um, I'm sitting in on all of your owner's meetings with anybody else. Because if you got money from a bank, a bank would have covenants. Why should you be any different? You, if you're going to take financial risk by financing it, you must have covenants in there to keep very close tabs on the business uh, mm-hmm. until you are paid off. 
Because if this is your business and you're selling it, and this and the situation is that this is your retirement money, you know, it's cynical it may be, but how much am I willing to gamble on the fact that hey, this person's that's my retirement sitting out there, and if they screw up the business, then it's like, how old am I going to be coming back trying to rebuild this business? And if they run it into the ground and I own the building. What's the building worth empty compared to what the building is worth having an ongoing business in it? You're exactly it's right. All about, exactly. It's all about the size of money, isn't it? So, so it, that's the, that, to the, all right, I got one last question. I've got 30 seconds, and then we've got to do the sound of money here. Because okay. um, I promised this person I would get this in, and um, then I'll tell everybody again how to get, get to Michael, because obviously, Michael, you know you've got to come back again because we, we can't get through all the stuff. And I've got you know that many people on here. Here's the last question: Person is a service business, solely service. Uh, you and I discussed off the air beforehand. This particular individual, uh, older gentleman, very well known in his industry, got a great reputation. What he's done, he says, "Sorry, I can't be with you to listen to the program tonight." How do you? What do you look at doing? He says, "Because he is a service provider." Uh, within one of our industries that uh, that I talk to, um, okay. what do they do to sell it? Well, if you are if you're like most entrepreneurs in a service only business, the you you have to do something that's very unentrepreneurial, and you have to write everything down. You have to have documentation. You have to have a process. You have to show here is what I do, how I do it, why I do it, when I do it, and I am going to train you, new owner, exactly how I do it, and that way you're going to have success. If you show, if you can prove that it's not just Tom Shea because he's the most brilliant guy in the world and that's why your business is successful, you have to be able to say, if you follow my 10-step process, you will have success too. That has value because now you're selling something that anybody can be trained on with the right person. And, you know, that... Doesn't that sound like a commercial about real estate investing if you follow my 10-step process? Okay, it sounds cliche, but it's absolutely true. All right, so that's being said. Time to wrap it up. Let me uh, tell Bill Kendi, thank you for being there with us tonight. Uh, also, Michael Kalsher, I want to thank you for coming and being with us. Always a pleasure to have you. We'll have you back. Michael Kalsher is with Castle Wealth Advisors Indianapolis. Their number for all of those who I would love to take even more questions tonight, uh, 888-849-9559, 888-849-9559. Write to him at Michael, M-I-C-H-A-E-L, at Castle, C-A-S-T-L-E, the number three, dot com in indianapolis that being said uh time to wrap it up bill kendy thank you sir for being here appreciate you being part of the program and michael as always our favorite sound time to say good night everybody thanks for being there It's been our pleasure to share fresh ideas and trends from premier small business owners, coaches, and resources. Join Tom Shea and guests again next month for e-retailer conversations right here on PBN, the Profitable Business Network.